Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, no, no bads out there. Don't want to hear that. That'd be awkward. I just would move on and ignore that. Um, so <laughs> we can talk later if there is something. Um, so I'm Aaron. I'm a pastor here at New King Church, and uh, I'm so glad to have you all here. So glad to have our guests here. I see a few faces I don't recognize. Maybe you're not a guest. Maybe you've been here for a while. I haven't been here the last few weeks, so I wouldn't recognize you. So, but glad to have you here. And if you are a regular attender and family member, we're so glad to have you here. And uh, can't wait to have lunch with you afterward. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I think we'll announce it later. So don't worry about that. But um, it's an honor to be up here with you today to be able to bring to you Jesus, to be able to preach to you Jesus. I really think that there is no greater privilege that I can have than to proclaim Christ to you. And I also think that there's really no greater privilege that you can have than to sit here and listen to me here, right? And, uh, and, I, and I don't mean because I'm some national treasure or anything, but, uh, or state treasure, maybe, maybe state treasure. But um, not because I'm anything great, but because the treasure that is Christ. He is such a treasure. It really is a privilege to be able to be there and to hear and meditate on who Christ is. So, uh, so wipe those looks off your face of tiredness, you know, like wake up, lean in, and feast today, okay? So I'm watching you. Yeah, I see those faces. But um, Okay, so if you're just joining us today... Uh, we've been in a big, long series on Matthew, have we not? And it's called Kingdom Come, and we're, uh, we've been, we're a year into it, about halfway through it, and, um, and it's been great. We've been learning so much about this kingdom that Jesus brings, haven't we? Uh, so much about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and um, yeah, so last week, we, one thing that we learned about the kingdom, can anybody tell me? No, you don't need to do that. I'm not going to do it like that. But what we learned about the kingdom was that it was, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and that Christ is the cornerstone. Um, but it's built on the foundation of the apostles. But today, we're going to learn something else about this kingdom. Today, we're going to learn about the path that King Jesus has given his kingdom citizens, to walk in. And that's why I've called this message the path of the kingdom citizens, or the path of the king's citizens. I can't remember which one's on the email, but it's one of those two. And um, so let's read the passage, and let's listen, and we're going to learn about different characteristics of this path that Christ is calling all of his kingdom citizens to. If you want to be in his kingdom, this is the path. Okay, so let's, let's read the passage. And, uh, but before we do that, let's invite the Father to be our teacher, shall we? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word. 
your precious word that we get to have complete access to uh, freely in this country. And we thank you even more so that you have not hidden it from us. You have given your word freely to us in your son. And you have left for us these teachings and we can grow in the grace and knowledge of your son by meditating on these teachings. We thank you, God. So guide us now by your spirit. Guide us in truth. Help us to face the things that hinder us from the path that you've laid out for us. I pray that for everybody here that you would touch us, that you would touch upon those hindrances that would keep us from your path. Would you expose them to us? Would you touch upon the sinful desires, Lord, the selfish ambition, the self-interest, the conceit, the self-preservations, Lord? Would you touch on these, expose them to us by your Spirit graciously. Let us see them for what they are, stumbling blocks. So teach us today, Lord, to set our minds on the things that concern you, not the things that concern man. Let us renounce these things, deny ourselves, and truly preserve ourselves for eternity to follow your Son and so bring us to glory. To glory, Lord. Bring us there and let that glory abound to all eternity. And we pray these things for your glory to abound in the name and power of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Matthew 16, 21 through 28, and we'll be focusing on verses 24 through 28. Uh, But that first paragraph is so important to look at, so we're going to look at it that we looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again this week because it's so important for this passage. So if you don't have a Bible, Hannah Pazna is back there. She's our, she's our local Bible dealer. So just raise your hand and she will distribute a Bible to you. It looks like nobody needs a Bible, but she'll be watching if you need it. Oh, someone, we got one. Oh, the pastor's wife. Awkward. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll just give Tiffany time to flip over. And uh, <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and actually, would you just please rise for the reading of God's word? And I'm going to proclaim at the end, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with gratitude. Thanks be to God, okay? Matthew 16, 21 through 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. There's so much in this passage that we won't be able to give adequate time to, unfortunately, but I want to show you just three characteristics in this passage, three characteristics that Jesus shows us about the path of the kingdom citizen, the path that each one of us is called to walk on. Okay, so just three things I really want to show you. And there may be a few sub-points in there too, okay? So don't hold me to just three things. But the first characteristic of our path is this. His path is our path. His path is our path. It's up there, good. So what do I mean by that? Well, it might be helpful to first briefly consider what Jesus' path is looks like. Look at what Jesus teaches about his path in verse 21. If you want to put that up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it is. So, <clears throat> what does he say about his path? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, notice that first phrase up there that I want to talk about, that he must go. He must go. For Jesus, there was no alternative to the road to Jerusalem. There was no sidestepping the road that led to Golgotha, to the cross. There was no shortcut to resurrection No bypass that got to glory, right? He must go. There was no sidestepping those those many things that he must suffer from the men of greatness in the city. He would suffer from them, but he still must go. So we see, first of all, that the path of Jesus, it was marked By suffering, his path seems to end in defeat. He must be killed, and it ends with him being glorified. He must be raised. So you see, there was no no shortcut here. There was no alternative. There was no other way for Jesus to be raised by the power of God. There was no other way for Jesus to be seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God, above all authority and power. There was no other route he could have taken to defeating the enemy, death. No other way he could have taken to destroy the power of Satan, to judge his enemy, that snake. He must go. He must go down the path. And his path is our path. After laying out his path, right? Giving this so very clearly to the disciples, what does Jesus say to the disciples? What does he say to them? Look at verse 24. And look at the last words that he says. He says, follow me. Follow me. After laying out his path, he's saying, I want you to come with me. This is where I'm going. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of these men of greatness. I'm going to be slandered. I'm going to be lied about. They're going to rob me of my rights and liberties. They're going to come at night and they're going to take me. They're going to put on a sham trial. They're going to wrongly convict me. The crowds will cry out for my death. They will abuse me. They will spit on me. They will tear out my beard. They will beat me and whip me. They will disfigure me. I won't be recognizable after this. They will carry they will make me carry my cross to my own execution. They will drive nails in my hands. They will drive a crown of thorns into my skull. And they will kill me. And I want you to follow me. I want you to come with me. I want you to deny yourself. Everything that you think is important, your desires, your ambitions, I want you to carry your own cross, and I want you to walk right beside me down the trail of our own blood to that place of death. I want you to fellowship with me in my suffering. I want you to be conformed to my death. Come with me, because I want you to join me in resurrection, because I want you to know the power of my resurrection. I want you to know my glory. I want you to sit with me above the heavenly places, above all powers and authorities. I want you to sit with me. I want you to be there with me in glory. So come with me. Do you see what a radical thing Jesus is calling them to? Have you ever read it like that? When he's saying, follow me, Church, I want you to understand this today. He wasn't just inviting his disciples to come with him. He's inviting us today. He's inviting us, our church, us to go with him. He's saying, give it all up. Give it all up. Everything that you think is important, all the things that you're so concerned about, all your desires, your ambitions, those dreams 
that you're clinging so desperately to, those riches that you are so desperately holding on to, trying to preserve, let it go, let it go, and follow me. Know me, fellowship with me, reflect me, be like me in my suffering, be like me in my death, so that you can be like me in my resurrection. I've said this before here at New King, if you want to know the power of Christ's resurrection, you have to know his suffering, and you have to know his death. That's exactly what Paul said, right, in Philippians 3. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? Do we really believe that? When we look at our life, does that say amen? When we look at our our bank statements, does that say amen? Right? So he's inviting us to go with him, to follow him. That's the first characteristic of our path. His path is our path. And we're already beginning to touch on the second characteristic. It's a path of self-denial and self-sacrifice. It's a path of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Look at it again at verse 24, just that phrase, what it says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We're already beginning to see a little bit of what this looks like through Jesus' example, but these words are clear. The only way to get on the path and to stay on the path is an attitude of self-denial and self-sacrifice. So we're going to spend a lot of our time considering this one characteristic of our path because I think that's uh, probably the, the biggest part. That's probably the hardest thing for us to understand in our culture uh, that is so averse to self-denial and to self-sacrifice. Um, now, in considering what this looks like, I think it helps best to consider its opposite, right? If our path is to be characterized by self-denial and self-sacrifice, then what would hinder us from this path. It would be self-affirmation and self-preservation. Self-affirmation and self-preservation. You see, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about in his response to Peter. Though Jesus knew that he must go, what did Peter say? No, Lord, never. You must not go, right? Peter took him aside He rebuked him. Far be it, Lord, these things that you were saying about yourself. No, may it never be, never. I won't let it happen to you. Now, is this the care of a good friend, right? Is this just a a concerned friend who cares? You know, we could read it like that, but that's not how Jesus looks at what Peter says. Do you notice that? He's not like, you know what, Peter, I I thank, thank you for being so concerned about 
my life and about how I'm feeling. I really appreciate that, but I really got to go. I'm sorry, you know, it's difficult. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, can you imagine after the words he just said, Peter, you're a little stone, but on this great rock I will build my foundation. You're going to be the, one of the apostles on which I will found my church. Now he's calling him Satan, right? What a roller coaster Peter's going through, right? First you're, you're given the keys to the kingdom, now you're Satan. So what's going on here? This isn't just a good friend caring, right? This is, this is devious, and Peter doesn't even realize it, because Peter would have taken Christ off the cross. Peter would have sidestepped the road to Calvary. He would have sidestepped suffering. He would have destroyed God's plan of redemption. He would have robbed Christ of his glory. You see, this is why Jesus immediately identifies the origins of these words. This is not simply Peter's caring thoughts. This is coming straight from the mouth of Satan. This is in accordance with the attitude and the ways of that rebel, Lucifer. And this is why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So you see, any philosophy, this is what I want you to see from this, any philosophy, any teaching, any advice, any amusement or distraction, whatever it is that would take us off this path of self-denial and self-sacrifice, that hindrance has its origins with Satan. It is meant to compromise the glory that is to be achieved at resurrection. Satan is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob us of glory. He wanted to rob Christ of glory. He wanted to put in his ways. This is the way. Preserve yourself, right? Preserve yourself. What about you? But that's not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. And so he wants to destroy our glory too, that is be achieved. You know, this may be, hopefully this will make sense as we keep going. This may be a completely new concept for you to hear. Wait, what? You know, what's he talking about? Suffering? He's talking about self-denial, taking up a cross. I thought we were just saying Jesus did that for us so we don't have to suffer at all. So we can completely avoid suffering, right? No, he, he took the cross to bear the penalty of our sin so that we wouldn't have to be judged and condemned for eternity in hell. He did not take our suffering on himself to make us avoid suffering in this life. No, in fact, he did it so that we could walk with him, so that we could be like him so that we also could take up our crosses and follow him. He wants us to be like him in his glory, and so we must be like him in his suffering. This is all over the New Testament. We're going to look at some of those verses a little bit later, but I just want to say that in case you're, like, confused. Um, 
But that's, that is what Satan does, right? That's what he says to Jesus in the situation. That's what he says to us. This has always been his way. He's always talked like this. It's like suffer, die, right? No. Did God really say that he wants you to do that? Did God really say, Jesus, I mean, are you sure you heard right? You, you may have heard wrong. Because that just doesn't sound like God. If that's God, that's not my God. Not my God. My God's better than that. He wouldn't make anybody suffer. He wouldn't make anybody bear up their cross. This goes with the question, right, that a lot of people ask. How can God exist if there is suffering in this world? He surely can't be, be, first of all. He can't exist. And if he does exist, he can't be good. Because God would never allow suffering. And that's just totally opposite of what we see in the New Testament. We don't see that at all. It's like, if you ask that question, you have not read the scriptures because suffering is how God moves his plan forward. That is how he moves his plan forward. That is how he brings glory. It's by becoming the least, by becoming a servant of all. This is the way of God. So this is what Satan always does. He says, you don't have to suffer. You won't die. Deny yourself. Sacrifice yourself. What about your dreams? What about your plans, right? You have you, you got to go to college. What about that career you've been working for? What about retirement? You've been saving for that. You're not going to throw that all away, are you? No, I... Whatever you're hearing, God can't be actually calling you to do that. Whatever that voice is that you're hearing, that you've been praying about, arguing about, that can't be it. That can't be what God's calling you to. He wouldn't ask you to make that kind of a sacrifice. Never. May it never be. Now, before we continue, there's also a flip side to this. There's another way that Satan deceives On the other hand, Satan also has teachings that confuse suffering. These are various forms of asceticism, right? That always compromise the essential ingredient of faith in Christ. Now, these are teachings that say it's through enduring suffering that you become righteous with God. That it's, in other words, it's it's right, you become righteous by your ability to endure suffering and inflict pain on yourself, self-flagellation, right? If I inflict enough pain on myself, I'll, I'll drive all the sin out. That, that's, that's just Satan twisting God's purpose for suffering. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. It's not about trying to have as much pain as possible. That's not what it's about. It's about enduring suffering for the sake of Christ, So that kind of a teaching that Satan would propagate, it would make you focus on yourself and on how you endure pain rather than on the complete work of Christ, rather than on the power of Christ to enable you to endure through suffering. These teachings boast in the will of man, in your own willpower, your own ability to get you through it, and they compromise the teaching of our faith, faith alone 
in Christ alone. Now, look at Jesus' words in verse 23. What does he say next? I don't know, because it's not there. So, <laughs> Luke, my brother. So, <laughs> we have similar humor. So if there's only one person laughing in the room, it's usually us laughing. So, <clears throat> get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. A hindrance to me. You know, that word hindrance, it can also be translated stumbling block. You're laying a stumbling block before me. You're trying to get me off the path. You're trying to make me fall away from the road that I must go down. Jesus' face is set on his path, but Peter's words threaten to make him fall. And our enemy also places hindrances before us. He wants to keep us off the path. He puts stumbling blocks before us to keep us from denying ourselves, to keep us from giving of ourselves, from giving completely of our lives, from looking at everything that we are and all that we have as things to be given, not to be held and to be added to and added to. He wants to keep us ultimately from glory. These hindrances, they can be summarized with two phrases, self-affirmation and self-preservation. But let's consider these two separately, these stumbling blocks, these hindrances that Satan uses to keep us off the path. So the first one is self-affirmation. The affirmation of our desires, the affirmation of our ambitions, to not deny our desires, but to affirm them to say that they are good, this is right, I'm going for it. It's funny how when we, have to, when we affirm our desires, we end up having to deny Christ. And when we end up affirming Christ and confessing Christ, we find that we must deny ourselves. You see that? This is, self-affirmation is elevating our desires above God's will. And I'm talking about both uh, evil desires of the flesh that are straight up evil, that are they're evidently evil, as well as good and natural desires that when twisted can consume us and take us off the path. Overall, these are deceitful desires. That's the main thing. They deceive us. Now, this is thinly veiled in Peter's words, so let me draw it out by considering the example of Esau. The opposite of what Jesus did, okay, is Esau, who was tripped up from following the path that was laid out before him. By right, Esau, his was the birthright, right? If you know the story of Esau, he was the older twin, right? It was a couple minutes before Jacob, and so rightfully, his was the birthright. His were the covenants of God. His was the inheritance of all the things that God was doing at that time. His was the blessings. Now, he had just come back from hunting, and he was hungry, 
he was hungry to the point of death, right? You ever been that hungry? I ain't never been that hungry, right? Not in America, right? I, I haven't been out hunting so long that I, I just was about to die from starvation. But if you can put yourself in, that, in those shoes, right? You got your stand out there in the tree, and you've been there so long, days and days, and no deer. And so you go back, and now he's, he is hungry to the point of death. And what did Jacob do? Interestingly enough, Jacob's name means deceiver, right? Don't know why you would name your kid that. But <laughs> deceiver, right? And what did the deceiver, that's what Satan is also known as, right? What did the deceiver put in the path of Esau as he's coming back, as his cravings are at their fullest, his belly is empty? What did he put before him? What did Jacob put before him? A bowl of soup. A bowl of soup. Something so simple. Something that's not evil in of itself, right? Right? I don't think we, I don't know if you guys know, we do ban soup in our church. It's because of that. No. I'm serious. Why are you laughing? No. Anyway, so um, just joking in case you didn't catch that. But um, <clears throat> it was a bowl of soup. And he said, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you this bowl of soup. If you give me the promises and covenants of God, I'll give you soup. Soup for you. Right? <laughs> Anybody know that reference? So... Is that not absurd, right? This seems like the worst trade deal in history, right? Could you get any worse than that? Could you be any stupider? But here's the thing. He wanted it. He needed it. He craved it. The cravings of his belly, right, he counted as being worth more than the birthright. He despised the worth of the birthright in that moment, and said, this soup is worth more. This soup is worth more. I need it. What does the scripture say of him? What does soup have to do with what we're talking about? Well, look at what the scriptures say of him in Hebrews 12, 16 through 17. It warns us, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Like Esau? Was there like a woman in the background or something that we didn't hear? No. It's talking about soup. Soup? Do you see? So, so he's not talking about literal sexual immorality, right? I hope not, right? But in that situation, that doesn't make sense with the soup. But, um, but what he's talking about is this faithlessness to God's covenant, to the birthright, faithlessness to God, essentially committing adultery on God by pursuing this other thing, throwing out the covenant, throwing out everything that the Lord had given him, counting it worthless. That was an adultery of, of the covenant. You see that? So that's why he calls it sexually, sexual immorality. It says, see the truth that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau was lured away. He was ensnared. He was trapped. 
He was enticed. He set his mind on what? The things of God? The birthright that he'd been given? Did he set his mind on that and say, no, it's not worth it. I'm going to wait a little bit longer till I get home? No. He set his mind on his desires, on the cravings of his belly. He did not treat God as God, but made his belly his God. Such people are, as the scriptures say, enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is exactly what Jesus said to to Peter at the end, didn't he? The last thing he said, what's his problem? You're setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. You've got your mind on the wrong thing. So Esau gained his desire, but he forfeited his soul. It did not profit him. Not denying unholy desire led Esau off the path. He did not lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Instead, he affirmed his desire, led him right off the path, and it can us too. Our desires would deceive us to think that they're really the thing that we want, that they're the thing that's worth more than the ways of God, his covenants, right? his laws. But by the grace of God, we must starve our unholy desire. That's kind of what fasting is a picture of, isn't it? Starving unholy desire that would take us off the path. By the grace of God, we must renounce and denounce it at every turn. Did you know that that is actually the very reason that God's grace appeared it says that in Titus 2, 11 through 12. I think I have a slide for it. Maybe I don't know. I might have got rid of it. Not, okay, no. Well, just listen then. Um, it says in Titus 2, 11 through 12, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In the present age, we must be willing, like Christ, to deny ourselves, to deny the cravings of our belly, to not affirm our desires. And that will keep us on the path. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, that, that is the, that's what keeps us on the path. We have to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Christ had, renouncing these passions, worldly passions, renouncing the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and affirming God's will for us. So church, do you realize what a heresy it is 
the things that I'm saying today, right, in the eyes of our culture, what I'm saying is heresy in our culture. I don't know if you realize that. Self-affirmation is the gospel of our day, right? That's literally everything that we hear. If you watch Disney, you're being indoctrinated into the self-affirmation gospel. Better stop, right? <laughs> it's your application for the day, no. But that is, that is the self-affirmation of gospel of, of Disney, of psychology, right? What do they call this? They, they, they call it a little bit differently. They call it repressing yourself, right? And repressing yourself is about the worst thing that you could do today. That's about the worst thing you could do. That's a sin against yourself in our culture. Um, they tell you that you have to express yourself. You have to express yourself. Every passion that you feel, every thought that comes to your mind, you must bring into expression. Whatever feeling you have, you should let it come out. Is that not our culture? Do you guys see what I'm saying? Do I need to get in the nitty-gritty details of like what's going on in our culture to make that real? I hope not. That is literally our culture. It's a self-affirmation gospel. And if you don't do this, if you don't express yourself, if you repress yourself, you'll get depressed. You'll be depressed. Oh, that's the worst thing that could happen, <laughs> right? It's not healthy for you. We wouldn't want that, right? But with that kind of false doctrine, psychology would damn us all. So church, for the sake of your souls, let me tell you what no one in our culture will tell you. Stop affirming yourself. Instead, deny yourself and so overcome this satanic hindrance to our true path. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? The second stumbling block is self-preservation. In the face of Christ's call to loving self-sacrifice, we are tempted to self-preservation. So Esau, in our earlier example, he hindered himself with adulterous desire, right? But he was also hindered by the love of life, we see. Isn't that right? He considered that he would die if he did not make this deal, if he did not make this trade. And so he placed the greater value, not simply on what he wanted, but on his own life, right? He said, it's not worth it. My life is not worth it. Yeah, take the birthright. Take the promises of God from me. My life is more important Think about if Jesus had accepted Peter's advice. If he had considered his life to be more important than the work of God. Think about Abraham. If he had considered the life of his son more important than the covenants of God. Right? This is, is all throughout the scriptures. Peter, he would have robbed Christ of the glory that came through loving self-sacrifice. And Satan would rob us also by this temptation. But Jesus is telling us to let go of our lives. So, what are you holding on to, church? 
What are you holding on to? Are you willing to make the ultimate sacrifices, right, to stay on the path? I think this is one of the biggest things I would say, one of the sacrifices we need to make in America is our liberties and our rights. That's the, the, the doctrine of America. What do we owe? What do we deserve? What does every human deserve? Life, liberty, our rights, and happiness, right? But what if Christ is calling us to something else in the American gospel? You know, I, I think that the American church, in the face of, of this new wave of, of this new self-affirmation gospel and of a new sense of persecution that we're feeling in little small ways, of people saying like, hey, you're homophobic, you're hateful, you're racist, throwing all these terms at you, and you're like, what? Why did you just call me that? I, we're not even talking about those things. Um, I think in the face of those things, and, and the face of being kicked off campus, we actually got kicked off a campus recently. I don't know if you guys knew that. A couple weeks ago, I was tabling at Champlain College, and we had a, some, a co- coven of witches come up to us, and they wanted to discuss social issues, and we discussed them. They, it was pretty cordial and respectful until at the end they got upset and they called security and had us kicked off of the campus. And so in that situation, you could say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. What about our rights? This is America, isn't it? You're going to prefer them over us? Who do you think you are? That's not equal. That's not America. What about my rights? What about my liberty to speech, free speech? Right? And we could do that in that situation. That would be the American thing to do. But what is God calling us to? I think of, uh, there was a conference, maybe some of you attended, there's a conference recently um, hosted with Eric Metaxas and talked about China. I don't really understand what was it about, so I can't tell you, but basically China something. And essentially, it's a threat. China's a threat. And um, anyway, we had some students that were there, uh, Carmela in the back, I'm going to call you out, and Karis Love, and, um, and I saw a video of them, because they, they actually had some students come up on the stage, and basically they wanted to hear from the younger generation, and kind of hear from them what, um, what can we know about younger conservatives, you know, it's a bunch of old people, right? So, like, we want to hear from the young people, Luke's laughing, so, anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> Anyway, um, and then, uh, and you know what was interesting? I saw the video, and what was interesting is to see how everybody was lamenting the loss of their rights, the loss of free speech, the loss of liberties, the oppression that they face in schools, which they really do. They really do face these kinds of things, being slandered, lied about, hated, despised. People were lamenting these things, and then I saw Carmela and Karis give their responses, and it made me so proud as a minister because they said, hey, it's not about, what if it's not about keeping our rights and our liberties? What if we are willing to sacrifice those things and say, it's about reaching people with the gospel? Is the worst case scenario that in America we lose our rights and liberties as Christians? Our right to speak the gospel in public, our right to gather? Is that the worst case scenario? No, that is not the worst case scenario. Christians have been thriving in those scenarios for thousands of years. That is not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario 
is if we deny Christ, is if we, here's the, actually the even worst case scenario, is if we pursue so much the preservation of our rights and liberties that we get off the path. Don't be so much about preserving these things. That's the American way, but that's not the way of the kingdom. That's not the way of the kingdom citizen. So probably haven't heard something like that in a while, so probably ruffling some feathers, but um, that is what God's calling to us to. Um, he surrendered his right to life. He surrendered his right to happy retirement. He surrendered his liberty, and he did it for the sake of love to reach many, and we can too. And I think, church, honestly, that we're going to have to we might as well start thinking about that now. Thinking like that, because I think we're not too far from there. Well, I just went off on a huge tangent there. But it's not really a tangent, right? That's pretty relevant. Right? Right? So, <clears throat> wow, I'm going way over time. So, um, <clears throat> I literally thought I was going to finish way early today. Um, <clears throat> that always happens. So, <laughs> so um, let me skip some things here. Um, yeah, that's not the way Christ gave us. What did Jesus say in verse 25? Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's the way of Jesus. That is the way of Christ. We must renounce our lives amounts to all these things that we've been talking about, rights, liberties, so that we may gain our lives, so that we may gain greater liberty in the kingdom of God, greater rights in the kingdom of God. We must die with Christ so we may also live with him. So those are the, th the uh, two great hindrances to our path, self-affirmation and self-preservation. And church, I wonder, do you think it's worth it? Do you think it's worth it to really do this, to deny ourselves, to live self-sacrificially? Do you think it's worth it? Well, when you empty yourself of self, and not like a Buddhist, right? Buddhists empty themselves, and they stay empty. That's not what we're teaching here. We empty ourselves so that we may be filled with the fullness of God and with his will and his word. But when we empty ourselves like Christ to be filled with his fullness, then we can endure and then we can get to the end of the path, which is the third characteristic, if you remember out of those, huh? the third characteristic of our path, our path ends in glory. But don't worry, I won't talk about this one as long. So you see, when we set our desires on the things of God, those desires become holy desires, holy ambitions, we fulfill what we were created for when we do this. Then we can give our lives like a seed, a seed that goes into the earth and bears much fruit. This is exactly the way that Christ has left for us, the example he's left for us. This is what he said of his path of suffering and death in John 12, 23 through 25. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, speaking of his crucifixion. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. As it was true with Jesus, so it is with us. Our lives are seeds. They are for the giving, for an abundant harvest. And that harvest can be summed up with the word glory, eternal glory. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Okay, it's all right, it's all right. So, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the seeds that are put into a tomb that must die, that will be raised in glory. If we die with him, we also will be raised with him. Do you believe it, church? So our path must be like Christ's. We must bear our cross with him. That's the attitude, that's the way, the mindset that Christ has given us. And that is exactly our hope. That's what keeps us going through suffering, is what's on the other side of the cross, the joy that is set before us. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Verse 27, he will repay. Eternal judgment is coming, and Christ the judge will repay us according to what we've done in the body. And that's a fearful thing. Our worthless works will be exposed and burned up, but it's also our great hope and glory. Do you realize that? Because he will repay us. He will reward us for what we do in the body, the ways that we deny ourselves, the ways that we give of ourselves and sacrifice ourselves. He will repay abundantly. As we are faithful with what we are given here, he will make us faithful over much there. He will richly glorify us. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 1, 11. So that's the path of the kingdom citizen. So in closing, finally, we must ask the question, what must we do? What church must we do? And there's at least just two simple things I want to give you to help you start thinking through that. If you're, maybe you're in a community group that is discussing these sermons, and so this is something that you can talk about and discuss there. But first, identify what are you holding on to in this life? What is it that you're trying to preserve? What is it that you're affirming that is keeping you off the path? What stumbling blocks is Satan using to keep you off the path? Sins, passions, 
lusts, boasts? Is it money, reputation? Is it home? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your parents? Second, lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. Once you've identified that, lay it on the altar. You can do that today. If you know what it is, you can do that today. Bring it before the Lord. Put it to death, that desire. Deny yourself and watch as the Lord brings blessing and glory to you and many others through it. So I'm gonna pray now. And I want you to pray with me, but to consider those things. If you don't know what they are, ask the Lord to show them to you. If you know what they are, lay them down. Heavenly Father, we come to you with thanks. Thank you for speaking to us today through your word, through the example of your son Jesus, who is willing to deny himself and give up everything for our sake. And God, what glory you have given him. There is no one greater in your kingdom but Jesus. What glory you've given him. Lord, we want to walk in that same path, that path that would bring us to glory, that would bring us to greatness in your kingdom. Let this church be defined by this. Define this church by the way of Christ, the way of your kingdom. Lord, we see ways in the future that we may be forced to this. And so, Lord, Would you just right now prepare us? Would you discipline us to holiness? Would you teach us? Lord, right now, identify the things in our hearts, the evil desires, the desires that aren't evil in themselves but are taking us away from you. Identify them. Show us them. Put your finger on them. Let your spirit speak to each one of us. Let us see it clearly for what it is, a bowl of soup that would take us off the path. Adultery. Lord, let us see it and let us renounce it. Give us the grace to renounce it. That's why your grace has appeared, to train us to renounce these things. So, Lord, let your grace be mighty here to teach us to renounce these things. Let us renounce our own selves. Let us go forward in the path that you have for us. And, Lord, let glory multiply in this church, through this church, because of these decisions we make today because of these decisions we make this week, the ways that we renounce ourselves. Oh, Lord, let them have echoes into eternity, glory abounding forever. Let this church purchase for itself a rich entrance into your kingdom as we sell all these things. Lord, the rich man, he could not follow you. The rich young ruler could not follow you because you asked him to give up everything. You asked him to sell his possessions and give it to the poor, and he could not do it. Lord, let it not be true of us. Let it not be true of us. Let us not hold on to the things of this world so tightly that we lose you. There is nothing, nothing else. We have everything, though, if we have you. Let us be like Paul, who was willing to renounce everything that he was everything that he was to grasp grasp you, to have you, Lord. So teach us this, Lord. Let it be among us. We lift up these things to you in the name and power of your son, Jesus. Amen.